Hi, we're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlo, and I'm joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, to full press coverage. Unlike Wild Card Weekend, Divisional Weekend delivered as three of the four games went down to the wire, which is what NFL playoff games should do more often than not. Now, we headed to Conference Championship Sunday with the Chiefs, Ravens, Lions, yes, you heard that right, folks, and 49ers left standing with a chance to go to Super Bowl 58. And, Hal, I think it is highly reasonable to expect both games this weekend to have similar last-second drama as those aforementioned games last week, isn't it? I certainly expect that as well. Uh, No doubt about it, David. These teams are all here for a reason. These are teams that we've talked about as consistently from start to finish as some of the best teams in the league. And there's no pretenders here. All four of these teams deserve to be here and all deserve that opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. Couldn't agree more, Hal, but before we break down the NFC and AFC championship games and the latest news from around the NFL, let's discuss our biggest takeaways from Divisional Weekend. What was yours, Hal? Uh, My biggest takeaway, you know, beyond deserving teams moving on, but like you mentioned, all of these games were fantastic games, all four. Uh, The only game that looked like the final score was a blowout was Baltimore-Houston, and that game was tied at halftime, was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. The Houston Texans, uh, you know, that young, plucky team gave Lamar and the Ravens a little bit of a scare, and Everything they could handle in that first half uh, was a fantastic game to watch uh, to see Houston out there. I was, you know, very proud of them. And of course, the Packers and the 49ers, great game going down to the fourth quarter. Uh, Lions and the Bucks, the Bucks hanging in there early and, and putting in a scare at the end. And of course, you know, what more could you ask for than that Kansas City Buffalo? Yeah. Uh, the you know what a wonderful rivalry and of course the game ended as it did <laughs> i mean um somebody uh yeah if if this whoever's scripting the nfl this year uh, they're doing a hell of a job i'll be tell you <laughs> those script writers definitely couldn't have done a better job last week and my takeaway from divisional weekend is this there are some people out there who think the vic fiagio defense has been figured out I don't necessarily agree with that, but there could very well be a new defensive scheme about to take the NFL by storm, and that is the Mike McDonald scheme. Just look at what his Ravens have done since week 15. They have only given up four touchdowns. They have forced 10, 10 turnovers, including seven interceptions and three full recoveries, and have totaled 11 sacks. And just look at the quarterbacks and offensive systems they faced. C.J. Stroud last week. Tua Tagovailoa in Week 17, and Brock Purdy in Week 16, and Trevor Lawrence in Week 15. What do three of those offenses have in common? They're from the Kyle Shanahan tree. Bobby Slowick in Houston, Mike McDaniel in Miami, and obviously Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, the father of the scheme. I haven't seen a defense absolutely 
uh, manhandle these offenses the way these Ravens have. And with the Kyle Shanahan offense being the most common system across the NFL, you could very well see more teams try to copy the Mike McDonald system. And there's a certain other defensive coordinator from Michigan that could very well be on his way to the NFL as well. And uh, we will be talking about that a little later on. And now it's time for our weekly honors, starting with our all-cap scope of the week. And I just have to give mine to Detroit Lions owner Sheila Ford-Camp. Sheila Ford-Camp took control of the Lions after her mother passed away uh, in 2020. And what did she do? She learned from the mistakes of her parents. Her parents always, always went after the big fish when they had to hire a new head coach, but they didn't have a plan to grow the pond, per se. So what does Sheila Fordham do? She makes an unorthodox hire by hiring Dan Campbell, a little-known candidate who wasn't even a coordinator at the time. And now look at what Dan Campbell has done. And the change in Detroit and in that whole organization wouldn't have been possible without Sheila Fordham's forward thinking and learning from the mistakes of her parents and being willing to hire coaches that fit the bill of these of most of the coaches this week. Andy Reid wasn't a coordinator before he became a head coach, and neither was uh, John Harbaugh. Well, John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator, but he wasn't either an offensive or defensive coordinator. So she thought like the best organization said when it comes to hiring coaches and not like her parents. And that's a big reason why the Detroit Lions are where they are right now because of the leadership of Sheila Fordham. My all caps go to the week. What about yours, Hal? Well, David, hard to argue with that one there. That's a great point there. Uh, and the Lions with multiple uh, playoff wins already this season. Uh, I mean, Let's face it, this year, this decade is already a success in Detroit, uh, no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, my go to the week, I'm going to split the award. I hate to, to whip out like this, but two performances uh, last week just on the field, not getting enough attention. Uh, number one, Jared Goff, they, they, speaking of Detroit, putting the game in his hands, 43 passing attempts, 287 yards, two touchdowns. But man, those dimes he threw in the fourth quarter, uh, big time, big play game. He made the plays uh, hitting St. Brown on that third and 15. Ridiculous, perfect pass. Uh, to extend that drive that ended in that beautiful touchdown pass as well. So Jared Goff, all, all the doubters in the world, myself at the front of the line, eating crow as you're leading Detroit to that NFC championship game. And uh, the most impactful player uh, on the Kansas City Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, um, running angry, love to watch it set the tone he set up Patrick Mahomes and that passing offense for the Chiefs to get them on track with some hard running 15 rushes 97 yards and they could have used him a little bit more in the fourth quarter just a little <laughs> free advice there for you Andy Reid but um, <laughs> you know might want to keep that in mind uh but yeah Pacheco a seventh round pick a couple years ago huge game Jared Goff discarded by the Rams, huge game, uh, big-time plays, big-time players in this big game, and I love to see it. They're my co-goats of the week. 
Uh, very well-deserved honors there, Hal. And what about your duds of the week for Divisional Weekend? Oh, pains me to, you know, <laughs> to hand out the dunce. But uh, the person I saw, you know, um, I don't care what you saw in the alignment with your special teams out there ready to punt. If you're going for it on fourth and five at your own 30-yard line, the fake punt isn't the play, okay? The ball belongs in the hands of Josh Allen. If you have a Josh Allen, you don't take the ball out of his hands, even if it's a fourth and a fourth and five in the fourth quarter, deep in your own territory. I just didn't like the play call. It didn't work, so it gets even more flack. But I'm going to give this a little bit of uh, Joe Brady in there as well. Um, some of those play calls late in that game, you know, uh, throwing those deep passes when it wasn't there against that Kansas City defense late in the game. Uh, they stalled the drive out on a third and long in the fourth quarter. Uh, the, you know, that third and long at the end of the game as well uh, that set up the missed field goal. Uh, two deep shots in that situation where you could have got that kick in under 40 yards, 35 yard. Uh, kick, which would have made it a much easier opportunity uh, instead of taking that big shot down the field. So Sean McDermott, Joe Brady, sorry, you guys are my dunces of the week. My dunce of the week is a co-honor as well, but both come from different teams. And I am looking at the Bills wide receivers, looking at you, Stefan Diggs and Trent Sherfield and Packers defensive backs, you Donnell Savage as well. They say football is a death by inches. Well, Vic Fangio said that. And <laughs> last week's uh, games between the Packers and 49ers and Bills and Chiefs prove him to be correct. Because had Stefan Diggs and Trent Sherfield come down with some dimes, and I mean dimes, thrown by Josh Allen, and Darnell Savage had caught that ball in the first quarter against Brock Purdy, and I forget who it was who should have intercepted the ball in the fourth quarter against Brock Purdy, the Packers and the Bills would easily have been playing this weekend, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly a handful of plays that decide games, but that's exactly what happened with the Packers and Bills because Josh Allen and Jordan Love played their behinds off, but... The, their teammates just let them down. The Packers defensive backs couldn't catch the ball and the Bills wide receivers couldn't catch the ball. And that's why those guys are my co-dunces of the week. And in less than two weeks, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2024 will be unveiled at the annual NFL Honor Show in Vegas a couple nights before the Super Bowl. And that means it's once again time for Hal and I to choose five modern era finalists to enter football immortality. And the 15 finalists this year are as follows. Eric Gallen, an intercepted machine who was a corner for the Eagles, Saints, and Raiders. Jared Allen, the ferocious pass rusher from the Chiefs and Vikings with a final stint in Chicago and Carolina. Willie Anderson, the longtime Bengals left tackle. Jari Evans, longtime Saints guard. Dwight Freedy, legendary pass rusher who spent 11 of his 17 seasons in the league with the Colts. Antonio Gates, arguably one of the three best tight ends of all time. Rodney Harrison, all-pro safety for both the Chargers and Patriots. Devin Hester, arguably the greatest return specialist of all time. 
Tory Cole, one of those final greatest show on turf members, still waiting for his gold jacket. Andre Johnson, arguably the original franchise of the Houston Texans. Julius Peppers, one of the best pass rushers of this young century, uh, who spent most of his career with the Panthers, but a fair number of years in Chicago and Green Bay as well. Fred Taylor, the great running back for the Jaguars. Reggie Wayne, the fantastic wide receiver for the Colts. Patrick Willis, the legendary linebacker for the 49ers, and legendary Cowboy safety Darren Woodson. And when you look at this uh, list of 15, there are two no-brainers for this class, in my opinion, and they are easily Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates. What do you think? Oh, David, no doubt about it. Um, those two, they've got the longevity. They both were... Um, redefine the positions with their athleticism uh huge impact no doubt about it 100 percent. i am with you gates peppers um lock lock therein absolutely and now the big challenge is finding three more and all of these men are equally as deserving but I think it is time. It is third year of eligibility. His third year as a finalist. Devin Hester, come on down. This guy was the greatest return man in NFL history. And that's not just what I say. Those are Deion Sanders' words as well. And that says a lot. Devin Hester, he was one of the biggest game changers at his position in NFL history. And he was arguably the reason those Bears teams with quarterbacks like Rex Grossman and Jay Cutler were very competitive whenever he was on them. And uh, I just don't like how the hall waits on these specialists. Special teams are equally as important as offense and defense, even though they don't play as many snaps. Special teams play can change games on a dime, and Devin Hester did that countless times. It's time for Devin Hester. What do you think? Uh, I've been banging that Devin Hester uh, drum for a while. Uh, like you said, the specialists woefully, and I mean woefully underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Devin Hester redefined the position. Um, there was no one like him uh, returning uh, kicks, punts, playing special teams like he did. Um, instant offense, game changer. He belongs. NFL, get with the times. It's one third of the game. Get Devin Hester into the Hall. Well, we're simpatico so far, so yeah. that's, that's how the simpatico We all have Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, and Devin Hester in our Pro Football Hall of, Hall of Fame class of 2024. And I just cannot get over this guy. Patrick Willis. He might not have played long. He only played eight seasons. But this is the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not the Pro Football Hall of Longevity. And that's a big reason why I was banging the table for Terrell Davis. It's not just because I'm a Broncos fan, but because Terrell Davis was the best playoff running back in NFL history based on his numbers. And he was the best at his position throughout nearly his entire career before he got hurt. And you could say the exact same about Patrick Willis. How many players in just eight seasons score five All-Pro honors? That is unheard of. I think Patrick Willis should get it. Also, keep in mind, Patrick Willis himself told the committee last year to put Zach Thomas in, and I think he has to get rewarded for that as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and again, you know, that's a, 
position that doesn't get quite the highlights that it uh, used to in the past at, at that inside linebacker, and, and the role has has uh, definitely evolved, no doubt about it. But let's face it, um, yeah, I like Patrick Willis a lot. I might not be sounding the simpatico alert on this one, though, um, just because... I look out there and somebody that I see that I just think has to be a Hall of Famer, that the name just jumps out at me as an impact player, as somebody that, you know, um, you had to know where he lined up every play. Um, he's got the hardware. He's got the stats. He's got the longevity. You got to reward him for it. And that's Dwight Freeney, uh, longtime Colts defensive end. Um Game wrecker right there, Dwight Freeney. I've got to put him as my Hall of Famer over Patrick Willis. I don't blame you at all for that because we do have a little bit of a long jab at pass rusher with uh, Julius Peppers, uh, Dwight Freeney, and Jared Allen. But this is Jared Allen's fourth year as a finalist, and I think he's overdue for it because Jared Allen was no different than Dwight Freeney. You always had to point him out. He constantly terrorized opposing quarterbacks, whether with the Chiefs or with the Vikings, and he just had that high motor that teams covet, and he was a farm boy from Idaho that was passed over in the draft, but he just proved everybody wrong the second he stepped into the league. I think it's time for Jared Allen's gold jacket. Oh, I, I like the way you think, David. No doubt about it. Hey, I mean, look at, I mean, I think it's kind of ridiculous putting this down to five. There's 53 yeah. players on <laughs> 32 yeah. teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, time to pump that number up a little. This is getting way too difficult. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I looked at Jared Allen, too. And, you know, I think we talked about him, you know, either last year or the year before. Uh, and, you know, yeah. I was right there saying, yeah, he's definitely in it. But. Um, you talk about passed over. You talk about a position that's underrepresented in the modern NFL. And uh, I got to go with my man, Rodney Harrison, here um, for my number five, though, because uh, Rodney did it all. You want the interceptions, the pass coverage, the blitzing, the tackling, the line of scrimmage. This man at safety did everything. Sacks, interceptions, forced fumbles, tackles, you name it. Rodney Harrison was impacting that game, uh, you know, made the, a the AP teams, made the Pro Bowls, doesn't matter, wasn't the most liked player uh, by <laughs> fellow players and, uh, you know, even teammates uh, at practice had some problems with him as well, but, but he played at one speed and that was it. He practiced and played at one speed and uh, the impact he had on those New England championships uh, in 2003 and 2004 cannot be understated uh, what he brought to those teams and elevated those defenses. Some of the greatest defenses of the past 20 years right there in 2003 and four in New England. Um, and remember 2005, uh, you know, those next few years, he was hurt and uh, slowed and that played a big part of that. Patriots not continuing to go to those Super Bowls. So Rodney Harrison, I got to put him in. I got to. He's overdue, way overdue. Yeah, I don't blame you for your choice as well. But like I said, there are no bad choices uh, from this group of 15. And we look forward to seeing the full class revealed on February 8th. And now let's discuss the latest news in the coaching carousel. 
this week, at the very time of this recording, five more head coaching vacancies have been filled, and arguably no other situation had a more fascinating plot twist than that of the Atlanta Falcons. Just when it seemed that Atlanta was on the verge of hiring Bill Belichick, they went in another direction. And the biggest reason why they did so was Falcon CEO Rich McKay. Since Arthur Blank bought the team in 2002, McKay has been his closest friend and most trusted advisor. And as Zach Klein of WSB-TV in Atlanta, which is the ABC affiliate down there, uh, reported earlier in the week, people around the NFL just could not envision a scenario in which Belichick, Blank, and McKay would be able to coexist under one roof. Keep in mind, the way the Falcons organization is structured. The coach and GM do not report directly to Arthur Blake. They report to McKay, who then reports to Arthur Blake, and that is a structure Bill Belichick just uh, doesn't like. And Klein added that although the 82-year-old Arthur Blake believed Belichick gave the Falcons the best possible chance to win now, he would not hire Belichick if he couldn't overcome the thought of losing McKay. And just over two hours ago, we learned that Blake indeed could not part ways with his right-hand man as the Falcons hired Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris as their new head coach. Morris was among three reported plan B options for the Falcons that also included Texas offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick, whom the Falcons were very impressed by in his initial interview, and former Titans head coach Mike Grable. Do you think the Falcons hired the best one of the three? I actually think they did. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, I'm huge, huge Raheem Morris fan. I mean, he is not doesn't just have the defensive strategy, the game planning, um, you know, the previous experience. And, and I've always said, you know, head coaches that second time around sometimes is that magic uh, point where they've learned from their mistakes and are able to uh take that next step as a coach but Raheem Morris is a leader of men ask anyone who played for him and he is the consummate uh, players coach in that he earns their respect of every player on that roster one through 53 wherever he has gone he has had that respect and I think he's going to be a very very successful head coach so yeah I think of their options and choosing McKay uh, to leave Belichick out of that situation. They made the best choice they could right there. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Plus Raheem Morris was with the Falcons under Dan Quinn from 2015 to 2020 and his first position wide receivers coach. This guy has coached both sides of the ball. He knows the game holistically. He is easily this cycle's Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryan's type player, and I think the Falcons are going to be in good hands with him for a long time, especially if they get that quarterback position right. Yeah, and that's the big thing right now for Atlanta. Now that they've got the head coach situation taken care of, um, Fontenot safe at general manager, now they've got to address that elephant in the room at quarterback. And as great as Mo, uh, Raheem Morris, uh, I think, can be as that head coach, yeah, they've got to find that fix because last year it did not work. It most certainly did not. And with the Falcons head coaching job now filled, the question of what's next for Bill Belichick looms large. 
And Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk just floated a very interesting possibility. During his appearance on the Rich Eisen show on Wednesday, Florio said he got the impression from some highly trusted sources that the Chiefs are preparing for the possibility of Andy Reid retiring after the Chiefs season concludes, whether that be after the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl. And if that happens, that's a very big if, by the way, he believes Chiefs players would lobby for Eric Bieniemy to be Reid's successor. If you're the Hunt family in that scenario, do you honor the players' wishes or do you make a big run at Bill Belichick? Teaming up Bill Belichick and that Chiefs defense with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, man, that is <laughs> that is pretty hard to pass up right there. Um, I think they absolutely have to consider it. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of coaches in that Andy Reid tree out there um, that you can continue this success. I mean was it five straight years at the AFC championship game? Come on. Like uh, (laughs) you want to keep this train running in the right direction. There's plenty of Andy Reid acolytes out there. Take your pick. I think if the hunts are going to look at it and say, no, 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 we're even without Andy Reid, we've got all the pieces in place. There's no sense disrupting this. Just insert, you know, former Reid assistant, you know, a through K, whichever one you choose, <laughs> and keep this rolling. Yeah, that's probably the most likely course of action when it happens. But uh, our uh, friend, NFL insider Benjamin Albright, uh, says that he thinks those rumors are unfounded and that Andy Reid will indeed be back in 2024. And now it's time to grade all the hires that have gone down in the National Football League. Head coach, GM coordinator, you name it. We have seen a lot this week, starting with the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh. Yes, Sal, your intuition (laughs) was wrong. Jim Harbaugh has left Michigan and is now the head coach of the Chargers, a team that he knows very well. He played the final couple of years for the Chargers uh, during his play career, and he knows the uh, Southern California area very well, as he also coached at uh, San Diego. So uh, how would you grade the Chargers hire of Jim Harbaugh well I mean getting Jim Harbaugh uh prying him away from Michigan I mean that's a straight A right there there's no doubt about it I didn't think it was going to happen I thought Michigan would come back and overwhelm him uh, with that salary so um you know Miami Dolphins fans, if you're knocked out of the playoffs by the Chargers next year, I just want you to uh, make sure that all your anger is directed at Stephen Ross, as you know, he certainly could have donated plenty more money to the athletic department in Michigan and kept Harbaugh there and out of the AFC. Uh, So uh, (laughs) give me a straight A, though, for Harbaugh. I'm giving this an A plus because Jim Harbaugh is a proven winner at every level. He turned around the University of San Diego. He turned around Stanford. He turned around the 49ers. He turned around the University of Michigan and brought that university its first national championship in like forever. And he is going to do the exact same thing with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I have no doubt about it. A plus. And now let's grade the Falcons hiring of uh, Raheem Morris. I just have to give this an A because Raheem is just the complete package. Yes, a lot of people are saying, oh, why not Bill Belichick? But some people are invaluable to an organization, and Rich McKay is very invaluable to Arthur Blank and the Falcons. And Raheem Morris, this guy is a defensive mastermind. 
an offensive mastermind, especially coaching wide receivers and a proven bona fide leader that he was the assistant head coach under Dan Quinn for many years in Atlanta as well. And he also knows the organization. Well, Falcons couldn't have done a better job here. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if McKay wasn't going and you know, that, that wiped out your chance at Belichick, um, you know, Raheem Morris, like you said, uh, has those Belichickian qualities of being able to impact the entire game, that entire roster, um, be able to coach, you know, basically every uh, position there uh, on both sides of the ball. He is uh, straight A, no doubt about it in my mind here. Uh, excellent hire there by the Falcons. And as far as the Raiders are concerned, they had no choice. They just had to honor the wishes of their players and give uh, the full-time head coaching job to Antonio Pierce, and that's exactly what they did. Max Crosby said he would have demanded a trade uh, if that didn't happen, and I don't think he was kidding. So uh, Antonio Pierce was a no-brainer hire here, but I will give it a B because the history of promoting interim head coaches to full-time uh, hasn't turned out that well. The most successful example has been Jason Garrett and Jason yeah. Garrett, obviously <laughs> underwhelmed with the, with the Cowboys. And uh, Antonio Pierce has a big test ahead of him in uh, finding a quarterback and offensive coordinator. So it's a B for now for me. But I still yeah. like the hire. I, you know, it's I, I thought he did a good job. I mean, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel the same way. There, there's kind of a line where you say to the players, you know, look, this was a, you know, decent idea at the time but might not be the right decision at this time and and you know Tony Pierce obviously a player knows his way around the the locker room there uh but really has only been in the NFL 2 years um you know as a coach that's a pretty light resume um you know you don't want to get any of those Jeff Saturday vibes here out of this uh hiring as well so i can't get too excited i'll give it a b minus Yes, and the Raiders uh, made a little surprise with their GM hire by choosing the dark horse among the three finalists for the job and former Chargers GM Tom Telesco. And I actually am going to give this hire a B plus because Tom Telesco, he wasn't very good at finding head coaches, but boy, did he identify talent. He drafted Joey Bosa. He drafted Derwin James. He found Keenan Allen in the third round. He drafted Mike Williams. Oh, my God. He hit on so many draft picks. And if you pair his experience uh, to help out Antonio Pierce, who's a novice at the job, I think this makes perfect sense. B plus. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it a B. I had it at a B minus, but you kind of talked me into it. You know what? He's not hiring the coach. So, you know, that's a win right there. I got to give him an <laughs> extra bump up on that grade as well. Uh, you talked me into it, David. I'm with you. Solid B on Telesco. Great talent evaluator. And the Tennessee Titans uh, flew in Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan for a second interview on Monday, and they were literally blown away that they did not let him leave without a contract. And thus, Brian Callahan will succeed Mike Vrabel as head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And I'm giving this one a C. And it's not because I hate Brian Callahan. I don't, actually. I think he's a very smart guy. And keep in mind, his father is Bill Callahan, the former yes. Raiders head coach and the offensive line wizard, who is arguably one of the top two or three offensive line minds in the NFL uh, today and in recent uh, NFL history. He's done wonders with the Browns, and there is a chance that 
Bill could follow his son to Nashville. And if he makes that happen, this grade gets bumped higher. But I give it a C for now because it's just hard to part ways with Mike Vrabel. Yeah, and I mean, you you look at the situation, you say, um, you know, did you improve from the former coach, the, your previous coach? And that's what makes it hard to grade this. And uh, I'm with you as well, Callahan, um, you know, all but guaranteed he was getting a head coaching job, um, you know, after the performance of getting Jake Browning ready to go and run that offense this year. Um, no doubt about it. He had cemented his role as a head coach uh, coming up. So it was just a matter of where he landed. I like it. I'll give it a, I'll give it a B minus um, because I do like Brian Callahan. I think he will be successful, but uh, yeah, that's a full 180 from Mike Vrabel there. No doubt about it. So uh, you're changing the culture. It's going to take a little time in Tennessee. I think we could be in for a couple of, a rough couple of years before they're back in contention. I couldn't agree more, especially in that uh, star quarterback driven AFC South with CJ Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and Anthony Richardson. The Titans have a lot of catching up to do. And the Carolina Panthers, you and I said from the outset that this was the least desirable head coach opening by far. But I think the Panthers couldn't have done better with this hire. Today, they hired Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales as their new head coach. And just look at what Dave Canales has done these past two years. In 2022, when he was still quarterback's coach with the Seattle Seahawks, he resurrected Geno Smith from the ashes. This past season, he resurrected Baker Mayfield from the ashes. And can he resurrect Bryce Young from the ashes? I think he can because he just has that... Uh, amazing ability to communicate to players and show faith in them. I think Bryce Young is going to love working with him. This is a B plus for me. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll even give it an A minus. I'm big on Canales. I thought, you know, turning, you know, getting this Tampa Bay offense running as well as he did. I don't think anybody expected that before the season. And like you said, with Seattle, um, you know, played, uh, came up from the bottom basically with Seattle uh, working with quarterbacks, wide receivers there. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson certainly had some wonderful seasons with Canales there as well. And then add into that situation, transitioning to Gino, uh, the work he did with Baker Mayfield. Give me an A minus for Canales. Yeah, very, very good hire by David Tepper. And hopefully he will have a lot more patience uh, with Dave Canales than he had for uh, both Frank Reich and Matt Rule. And fortunately for the Panthers, when it came to their search for a new full-time GM, they had a very nice in-house option in Dan Morgan, who was a linebacker for the Panthers in his play days and even made a Pro Bowl. And uh, then Dan Morgan went uh, into scouting. And along with Dave Canales, he was hired by Pete Carroll for his inaugural staff in Seattle in 2010. Both Morgan and Canales were with the Seahawks from 2010 to 2017, and that is where the connection was uh, immediately drawn. And uh, Dan Morgan, I initially uh, ha had this as a C plus uh, because I thought, oh my God, they're sticking uh, uh, in in house, going in the same. Where's the direction? But they hired Dave Canales. I got to give it a B now. Yeah, I mean, uh, he certainly had that connection there. Uh, you know, good young mind to put in the uh, general manager seat there. Uh, definitely needed, 
no doubt about it uh, in Carolina. He's got a lot of work ahead of him, but he's got a good head coach. So, yeah, give me, uh, what did I say, B minus? Yeah, B, B minus, B, somewhere in there. Maybe may an 83 and a half. That's fine. I'll, I'll go right on the line. <laughs> no problem, Hal. And now on to the coordinator hires. A couple weeks ago, we mentioned the Chicago Bears offensive coordinator job as a critical job to fill in one they had to get right. And they got arguably the biggest fish on the market in Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron, a Sean McVay disciple who also worked under Bill Belichick when he was uh, getting his feet wet in coaching. Uh, this guy has worked with a wide variety of quarterbacks, from Jared Goff to Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. This was the guy who they described as adaptable. They wanted somebody who was very adaptable, who could work with either Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, Drake May, or whatever they decide to do at quarterback this offseason. Shane Waldron is clearly that guy. This is a straight A for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, that's about as big a win as you can get. I mean, I think your only concern with Waldron, and the only reason I wouldn't give it an A-plus, is that, you know, he's on the short list for head coaches here soon, too. So it might be a one-and-done is all you're going to have there with him as offensive coordinator, especially if he turns around uh, that Bears offense and gets this team winning in a big way next year. Oh, you said it, but uh, on the flip side, it could give you an option if you decide to part ways with Eberflus uh, uh, yeah. next season. You could just promote him to head coach and keep the system the same for uh, Justin Fields or Caleb Williams or whoever. Yep. So, yeah, uh, but definitely a straight A. I love the idea. Uh, from Getsy to Waldron, that's a big win for Chicago. It sure is. And yesterday... In news that surprised a lot of us at first, the Dolphins and Vic Fangio mutually agreed to part ways, but there was a big reason why. Vic Fangio worked as a consultant for the Eagles in 2022, and they had mutual interest in giving him the defensive coordinator job, but the timing with the Eagles making it to the Super Bowl threw it off that he committed to the Dolphins. But Vic Fangio this season reportedly grew homesick. He is from Pennsylvania. He was born in Scranton, and he wanted to be close to his family. So what better option for him than to agree to mutually part ways with the Dolphins and then go get that open Eagles defensive coordinator job that he was lined up to get last season. And for the Eagles, this has to be an A-plus for me because Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive masterminds of these past 30-plus uh, years. And uh, the Eagles just did not know what they were doing this season defensively, and he's going to get that chip straightened immediately. David, I hope you're correct. Um, you know, I just look at that Miami defense and the disconnect that he had with those players. Um, you know, it was clear throughout the season that they weren't buying in and shocking with somebody with, you know, Vic Fangio's pedigree and accomplishments and just the inability to get that Miami defense over the hump and, and where they needed to be this year. Oh, it's just a... Uh, makes it very, very difficult for me to go 
beyond, um, you know, the A grade here. So uh, the way that defense struggled, I'm going to give it a B plus because just the what came out of Miami was just a little too concerning for me. And you wonder about him connecting with some of those uh, young defensive studs in Philadelphia and being able to get them all on the same page this coming season. Oh, you bring up a very, very good point there. Because keep in mind, Vic Fangio, if you think uh, Sean Payton and Bill Belichick are old school, Vic Fangio is even more old school. He's super, super gruff, as one person described him to me. He's very military-like. And that just does not jibe well with uh, these players today. Exactly, exactly. And and so, you know, I mean, certainly, like I said, has that pedigree um, been doing it? Uh, you know, as long as possible, but you saw the disconnect he had in Miami. Um, I think, you know, that's part of the reason Bill Belichick's not in New England either. It's hard for these older coaches to connect to these younger players. And that, if you don't get that buy-in, um, you know, that's when you start running into those problems. So uh, be very interesting to see how things go in Philadelphia. I'm certainly hoping uh, he can turn that around and get back to normal Vic Fangio type production out of his players, but um, a little apprehensive. So I only give it the B plus. And this defensive coordinator hire, you probably thought otherwise about. Because Ryan Nielsen, just look at what he did oh. with that Falcons defense last year. And the Falcons still don't have bona fide alpha dog edge rushers. And yet he helped dramatically improve that unit into arguably one of the 10 best units uh, in the National Football League this season. But obviously with the new coach uh, coming in, Raheem Morris, uh, he had to go elsewhere. And the Jaguars, after firing defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, were able to get him. I think this is a massive, massive get for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's an excellent teacher who has proven that he knows to get the utmost out of whoever he puts on the field. And uh, with uh, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd, those youngsters on defense, I think their level of play is going to go up in large part because of him. I give it an A. Oh, I, I give it an A+. Plus. I mean, I been talking about that Atlanta defense all season, especially the second half of the season. And like you said, I mean, he got every player on that defense stepping it up. Um, that production, the sacks came from everywhere. Everybody pulled their own weight. There were no, uh, you know, elite edge rushers there uh, coming out of Atlanta last year. He got production. He pulled it out of the starters, out of the backups, that full depth. Um, and, you know, that secondary as well uh, played so strong uh, that defense the entire season uh fantastic one of the best defenses on third down in the league as well uh which is a lot of that is the coach getting the right players on the field into the right position so uh for me straight straight a isn't enough nielsen a plus higher for the jags and now it's time to preview these conference championship games, starting with the AFC championship with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs going to Baltimore to take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And the 2023 Baltimore Ravens are one of only three teams in NFL history to score 25 or more points per game while also leading the NFL in rushing offense and scoring defense. And who are the other two? The 85 Bears. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the 72 Dolphins, both of whom oh. obviously went on to win the Super Bowl. If these Ravens knock off this generation's dynasty in the Chiefs and go on to win their third Lombardi, should they be remembered as one of the 10 best teams in NFL history? Yeah, I mean, they really should. If they can get that uh, championship here, they certainly are deserving because this is a dominant team uh, on both sides of the football, no doubt about it. The offense, we talked about the expectation coming into this season with the newly acquired weapons, the impact they can have, and we saw that impact. Uh, it was impressive all season long. Uh kept Lamar upright with that offensive line, dialed up that passing game when they needed to. I mean, this was a high-powered attack. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, dominant offense, dominant defense, uh, one of the best teams in the NFL start to finish. So, yeah, they definitely are deserving. I absolutely agree, because as we've been talking about the Ravens for the past several weeks, they could beat you in a variety of ways. They could win the low-scoring defensive struggles. They could win the shootouts. They could win boring, grounded-pound-style games. They just could do it all. They know how to win the old way, the new way, and whatever way you can think of. And that's what makes these Baltimore Ravens such a special, special bunch. And this game obviously features two elite quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson but it also features two elite defenses as well. We've talked about how special this Ravens defense is for weeks, but this Chiefs D is equally as such. They have not allowed a 300-yard passer at all this season. Get that, and that is not a joke. Should we be either shocked or surprised if this turns out to be a low-scoring game? No, I, I'm not shocked or surprised about that at all. Uh, you know, the Kansas City offense, as great as Mahomes has been, uh, we've talked all year about uh, the inconsistencies and the, uh, you know, the difficulties of finding those uh, big play players in the passing game. Uh, and that Kansas City defense, I can't say enough about how legitimate they are, um, you know, Pick wherever you want. They're strong. Chris Jones on the pass rush, Nick Bolton tackling machine. And I thought last week was the coming out game. Legereus Sneed. Um, we need to start talking about him as one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, he's been putting on a performance this entire season. Um, he's up into my top five, no doubt about it. Excellent, excellent point, Hal. I couldn't agree more about Legere Steve. That guy has literally shut down every single receiver he has faced this season, including some great ones, including Stefan Diggs last week. And there's a very, very real chance that the Chiefs give him the franchise tag in March. And if the Chiefs are to come through on the road again and make it to their fourth Super Bowl in five years, they will likely have to do it without one of their best players on offense. All-Pro guard Joe Tooney is not expected to play in this game due to his strained pectoral. Why is Tooney's absence such a big deal, especially against a defense like the Ravens? Well, the Ravens like to move their pass rushers around. That's the big thing. There's stunts. There's 
all kinds of action up front from them. Uh, it's difficult enough with Baltimore knowing who's coming, who's dropping back. And Joe Tooney is the leader of that offensive line. He is the one who gets all five guys in the right position, um, not only being a, a road grader in the running game and one of the best uh, interior pass blockers out there. There was a reason uh, they made him one of the highest paid interior offensive linemen when they signed him in free agency. Um, but he is, he brings that leadership, that experience. Um, you know, he's a big part of why that offensive line has been so dominant. Um, you know, why players, younger players uh, like Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith were able to step in and succeed right away. A lot of that is the Joe Tooney effect there as well. So uh, losing him, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, it's a guard. It's a plug and play position. You can throw a backup in there and it's fine. And, and that is most definitely not the situation in Kansas City. Absolutely not, especially against the Ravens defense that has multiple pressure packages and unpredictable pressure packages. You need your offensive line to be communicating with each other like glue. And without Tootie, that communication falls off a bit, and it's going to be a factor for the Chiefs to overcome on Sunday. And now let's break down some of the matchups that are going to decide the AFC Championship. And yes, Travis Kelsey is unguardable, and he still is unguardable, but the Ravens have one of the very few players in this league that can go mano y mano with him, and that person is Kyle Hamilton, their multifaceted safety, who has a football IQ that's absolutely through the roof, and his sideline to sideline quickness is just second to none among safeties. So I am looking to see a multiple one-on-one -on -one matchups between Kyle Hamilton and Travis Kelsey, and I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton wins his fair share. Yeah, and, and you know, Baltimore is a team that plays a very, very high percentage of zone, and I think they're going to have to throw that out a little this week. I would not be playing much zone against Travis Kelsey and Rashi Rice. My God, those guys destroy zone defenses. Uh, they feast on it. So, yeah, you've got to have that one-on-one -on -one matchup, and, you know, especially if Baltimore can get Marlon Humphrey back, um, lock him up on Rashi Rice, and have Kyle Hamilton match up on Travis Kelsey, um, you know, with that athleticism and intelligence that Hamilton has, um, you know, I still remember the draft, David, we were tired and Hamilton landed in Baltimore. We went, there they go again. How do they keep doing this? You know, <laughs> plug and play the best player in the draft falling in their lap at number 14 or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Hamilton, um, if he can lock up Kelsey, you get Marlon Humphrey on Rashi Rice and you start putting some pressure practices on and uh, they're punching their ticket in Baltimore for the Super Bowl if that happens. Oh, absolutely, and it does look like Marlon Humphrey is going to be able to play. John Harbaugh said at the beginning of the week that he was very optimistic about Marlon Humphrey's chances uh, to play, and Marlon Humphrey has practiced uh, both times uh, so far uh, this week, so the arrow is pointing up for Marlon Humphrey to return. And obviously the Ravens have that electric linebacker duo in uh, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, but the Chiefs have just figured out that if you just keep feeding Isaiah Pacheco, he is going to help you win football games. They rode him last week, and I think they're going to have no choice but to match the physicality of this Ravens defense by riding him again and giving him the ball 23-plus uh, times. 
Yeah, there shouldn't be any 15 carry games here for Pacheco. Uh, he's going to need the ball. They're going to need to run that football hard, and they're going to have to go right at that dynamic duo at linebacker, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. There's no doubt about it. They've got to get those guys up at the line of scrimmage, uh, focusing on Pacheco, establish that running game. Uh, if they're going to have any chance of establishing, getting that passing game going here as well, it's too much to put this entire game on the shoulders of Patrick Mahomes against this kind of defense. Um, like I said, uh, Pacheco, uh, my go, my go to the week last week he needs to be that same go to the week this week and uh yeah more pacheco necessary uh, i think he was even underutilized last week by kansas city and it almost cost him in the end absolutely hell the more pacheco the better and i'm sure you're familiar with the say it's not about the x's and the o's it's about the jimmies and the joes uh the jimmies and the joes are more important uh, to be sure but X's and O's matter as well. And we have two X's and O's masterminds going at each other at Andy Reid and Mike McDonald. And I am just looking at this scenario. When the Chiefs go into their multiple tight end packages, are they going to be able to force the Ravens into their nickel package? Ooh, because yeah. according to Aaron Schatz, uh, the Chiefs uh, against base this season averaged 4.4 yards of play in 12 personnel and five yards per play at 13 personnel. But against nickel out of those uh, personnel groupings, the Chiefs are averaging 6.1 yards per play in 12 and 8.9 yards per play in 13 personnel. So I wonder if Andy Reid is going to have a lot of multiple tight end formations cooked up to force the Ravens into that nickel defense. Yeah, and I mean, that that's one of the the things that has made Andy Reid great is his ability to force the defenses to react to his offense out there. Um, whether it's with the, the players on the field, uh, the alignments, whatever the motion, uh, Andy Reid's going to need to pull everything out of his hat this week. Uh, and like I said, that chiefs defense as well, a lot of players there that can match up against the Chiefs, but one of the things we've seen with the Chiefs that we never saw in the past uh, when you had a Tyreek Hill out there uh, blazing is that, uh, you know, teams going man to man against that Chiefs offense. And it'll be very interesting to see how, you know, a team that really plays a lot, a lot of zone. Mike McDonald plays a ton of it um, behind that pass rush, but I think they're really going to have to ramp up and change the way they play and, and up that level of man coverage here against the Chiefs and really, uh, you know, try to slow down Pacheco. And as crazy as it sounds to say with Patrick Mahomes, force them to try to throw the ball to win the game. Oh, you brought up multiple great points there. Plus, what makes this Ravens defense more difficult uh, to uh, force them to tip their hand compared to other defenses is that they have personnel packages to match whatever the offense throws at them. Uh, if uh, the Chiefs want to go heavy, the Ravens have the heavy guys to do it. If they want to go spread, they have the lighter guys to do that at nickel. They have every option in the book. And that's what makes this chess match between Andy Reid and Mike McDonald extra, extra fascinating. No doubt about it. And, and you know, you think about that uh, defensive line there for, for Baltimore, and it's like, you know, uh, you want to try to run the ball. 
Well, okay, Jadavian Clowney's been a beast against the run this year, no doubt about it. Justin Matabike, um, you know, if you're trying to throw out of those two tight end packages, no problem. He's going to be on the field <laughs> brushing right up the middle at you. So, um, you know, and, and running the ball, trying to get past that big nose tackle, tying guys up, especially without Joe Tooney there uh, with Michael Pierce. That's a matchup again that uh, Baltimore – you know, they can uh, they can bring it against whatever you're throwing out there. And now let's switch sides of the ball. Uh, Willie Gay, the chief slidebacker, he missed the entire second half last week due to a, a back issue. And uh, he was sorely missed uh, in that second half for stretches uh, because uh, the, the Chiefs flat out thought that he was the best guy to spy Josh Allen. And uh, Josh Allen almost made them pay last week with a couple big throws that were dropped, as we alluded to uh, in the beginning. And uh, Willie Gay, it looks like he's healthy enough this week to play. And he's going to be tasked with spying Lamar Jackson. And Lamar, uh, the Texans took the pass game away last week, but Lamar made him pay uh, with his legs, and the Chiefs uh, are probably not going to let Lamar uh, make him pay with his legs. Yeah, I mean, you, you just can't. I mean, he'll just he, more than happy to just run all over you. He has no problem with whatever um, game plan you're coming up with in those situations. So, uh, yeah, so for Lamar, uh, you want to try to, uh, you know, gear up and stop the run. He's got Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers. He's going to have options for guys to uh, go over the top and beat you in the passing game. Heck, he could have my Andrews back as well at tight end and uh, even as well as likely he's been playing for them as well. Now they've got extra options in the passing game for Baltimore. Now you get two tight ends you can run out there. So a uh, lot of tough decisions for the Chiefs um, defense. They're trying to, uh, you know, pick your poison. Uh, you know, is it Lamar in the running game or trying to stop Lamar in the passing game? And I, I think at this point, uh, you got to try to stop that run. You've got to have somebody there that's not just spying on Lamar, but um, making those big hits and making him not want to run the football. And another thing I'm wondering is this. During the first half of that uh, game against the Texans last week, D'Amico Ryan seemed to have Lamar Jackson, that Ravens offense, in a little bit of a tizzy because he was setting blitz after blitz after blitz, which is uncharacteristic of a D'Amico Ryan's defense. And Lamar and the Ravens had a very difficult time with that blitz. I fully expect Steve Spagnuolo to do the same thing at blitz early and often. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. Um, you know, if there was one thing that you could say about Lamar, if you were going to get him off the game, um, I think Brian Flores did it to him with Miami a couple he years sure ago. Did. It seemed like he was zero blitz in every single play, it seemed yeah. like. I was like, my God. And, and you know, had Lamar flustered. But we talked about, you know, the most underrated part um, Lamar had coming out of college was that ability to be an NFL passing quarterback and we've seen that grow and I think we saw that maturation there last week against Houston as well as he started to adjust to that blitz and um, you know by the end of that second half he was welcoming it he had his plan pre-snap and was winning those downs against Houston diagnosing that blitz and having that plan in place before the ball was even snapped, he had him beat. So uh, that's part of that maturation of Lamar. So, um, you know, definitely, I think it's something you're going to have to do because uh, you don't 
you don't really have much of a choice against him because if you sit back, he'll just pick you apart all day long without a second thought. So you got to be aggressive against him. But uh, yeah, as he continues to grow, we're seeing that part of his game is taking that step up to that next level. Uh, and last week was a big step in that direction. That's as if he wasn't scary enough to defensive coordinators. <laughs> and we talked about Legarius Sneed earlier in the program, and I am wondering which of these Ravens receivers should he shadow in this game? Yes, you probably have Mark Andrews coming back, but that's a size mismatch against Legarius Sneed. Yep. But who does Lamar Jackson usually look for outside of Mark Andrews when that Ravens uh, pass-catching arsenal is fully healthy? Zay Flowers, the rookie Zay Flowers. He is a route-running technician. He's got solid cans. He gets open religiously. I think you're going to see Legereus Steed often going up against Zay Flowers. I I think you have to. Zay Flowers is that safety valve. He's the one who's getting that offense going when it's in a funk. He's the extending the play on third down, using that short space quickness of his to get open. Um, No doubt about it. I think the Ravens would be ecstatic um, if Marlon Humphrey was lining up across from Beckham, Bateman, or Aguilar. You know, (laughs) they'd be dancing on the sidelines before the play. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I I think he's got to match up with Flowers, no doubt about it. Couldn't agree more. And as complete as this Chiefs defense is from back to front, the linchpin remains number 95, Chris Jones. And that matchup against him and one of the league's best young setters and Tyler Linderbaum and those two guards and Kevin Zeitler and John Simpson, that is going to be very, very important because you have to get early pressure on Lamar Jackson because he might be mobile, but he is more than able to beat you dropping back and staying in that pocket. And you have to disrupt that part of his game as well. And you got to win early and often with Chris Jones doing exactly that. Plus, uh, I think Chris Jones is going to be playing with a lot of emotion in this game because it could very well be his last game in a Chiefs uniform because he's a free agent after the season. And the Chiefs have a lot of other people they want to pay who are younger than him and on the upswing. Yeah, I mean, and no doubt about it. Like you said, uh, that. Baltimore offensive line so strong in the middle um you know really you you wonder Baltimore you know if there is a weakness we talked about last week with Moses uh, Morgan Moses on the the right side Ronnie Stanley's been a step slow as he's uh getting up there in age um at left tackle so you know if there's a way they can bring that pressure from the edge and you know for the Chiefs uh you know it starts up the middle with Chris Jones. That's their pressure package. So, um, you know, George Karlaftis taking a step forward this year, but he's still not an elite edge rusher there um, on the left side. So, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on Karlaftis that he's going to need to step up, have a big game, and not just get to Lamar, but as we talk about with Josh Allen as well, it's one thing to get to the quarterback, but when they're that size, you know, you still got to bring them down. <laughs> that's no, that's no easy battle there. So, uh, yeah, it's not just getting to them. It's you know, we've seen too many times. Uh, Lamar just shrugs off that uh, blitzing uh, secondary guy half his size and uh, completes that plat- pass. So, if you got that edge rusher, he's got to have not just the speed but the strength to bring him down. Um, you know, lock him up and prevent him 
from getting away and making that big play. Sacks are very important, but disruptions are almost equally as valuable because look at what Chris Jones did on that final drive uh, last weekend in Buffalo. Uh, Josh Allen fired a ball towards the end zone to a wide open Khalil Shakir, very similar to the Gabe Davis play in that infamous playoff game a couple of years ago. But Chris Jones got a hit on him a fraction of a second before he got rid of the ball, and that made all the difference. And such a play like that could very well be the difference in this game as well. And now let's pick the winner of the AFC Championship. Make no mistake, these Baltimore Ravens are very, very, very special. But as Rudy Tomjanovich famously said, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. These Chiefs have been to the AFC Championship game for six consecutive seasons. They are battle-tested, and they've had to endure more adversity this season compared to any other season in their recent history. Their offense has struggled for most of the season, but they finally have seemed to flip the switch at the right time. They only had five third downs last week. They were constantly able to stay ahead of the chains. And when you look at the Ravens, they've been dominating literally every team they faced recently. But those teams come playoff time, that usually comes back to bite them because they weren't battle-tested, having to go through that adversity. And that is a big reason why I think the Kansas City Chiefs pulled this one out 27 to 20. How do they do it? Stay tuned for bold predictions. Do I hear a big simpatico alert or a big massive disagreement alert? Uh, it's the disagreement alert, David. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to go that way, but uh, yeah, I, I think it'll kind of play out like last week. I think Kansas City can keep it close in that first half. It'll be a lower scoring game, um, but eventually the loss of Joe Tooney uh, at guard is just going to be too much. There's going to be a big play by that Baltimore defense. That's just going to swing the game. Um, I've got Baltimore uh Storming away with it in the second half, more than covering the spread, winning easily 27 to 18 over the Chiefs. And now let's preview the NFC Championship game, which takes place Sunday night in Santa Clara as the 49ers host the Lions. As we saw last week and earlier this season, the 49ers offense tends to struggle mightily without Debo Samuel. I know it's an endless debate as to which one of Debo, Chris McCaffrey, or George Kittle is the MVP of this unit. But if you had to make the case for number 19, why would it be him? Well, I mean, he, he's the wild card of that offense there. Um, you know, he impacts both the running game. He impacts the passing game. Uh, anytime that he's in motion, that defense is reacting to him. Um, you know, you can line him up anywhere and have him make an impact on that team. You can stick him at the running back position. You can stick him on the slot. You can stick him on the outside. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have to attack vertically 
Um, you know, he can attack those defenses horizontally. I like those Shanahan offenses love to do in the passing game because he has that run after the catch ability. Um, and he's just so strong. One broken tackle and it's off to the races. We've seen it so many times with Debo Samuel. Um, he's that wild card. He's that player that, you know, uh, there's nobody on the practice squad to replicate him uh, when you're game planning for him in that 49ers offense. And, and that's why he makes such a big impact with there. And Shanahan knows that as well and loves to deploy him that way. Most definitely. As we've known for quite some time, Jared Goff is a far different quarterback when kept clean compared to under pressure. And this season alone, Jared Goff has a 76% completion rate, 8.2 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns, and only three interceptions from a clean pocket. But when under pressure, Goff has a 51.4% completion rate, 6.3 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, and nine interceptions. And the average NFL fan would think Goff is in big trouble going against that 49ers pass rush. However, that same 49ers defensive line was not able to pressure Jordan Love that much last week, and the Packers have a suspect offensive line. Now, they have to face that mighty Lions offensive line, which is easily a top-five unit at that position. If the Lions can keep Jared Goff clean on Sunday, do you think we will see a very high-scoring game? Oh, yeah, I'm expecting uh, Detroit to be able to put some points on the board against that San Francisco defense. Um, like you said, they should have that huge advantage. Um, you know, you would think last week they would have had that huge advantage uh, with that pass rush as well. But, um, you know, I'm not sure what it is with that San Francisco uh, defense. But, the, you know, um, in these closer games, you know, you're not seeing that defense taking over like you would expect with that pass rush. That pass rush thrives when they're uh, up multiple scores and know that the other team has nothing in the arsenal other than trying to throw their way in. And that's where you're uh, seeing that press, you know, th those numbers piling up. But, um, you know, that defensive line, as strong as it is and as, as good as it can be against that run, um, you know, outside of Nick Bosa piling up those sacks, uh, those numbers are lower than you would expect when you see those sack numbers. And, and the pressure, certainly they can get some pressure and dial it up, but um, they haven't been dialing it up as they have in the past. And I think that was a big part of them going out and getting chase young as well, because uh, they recognize that pass rush wasn't where it should be. And it's still not quite at that level uh, when going up against some of these good teams and in these close games. Most definitely Hal. And as Chris Sims pointed out, uh, Chris Sims, the son of Phil Sims, a former NFL backup quarterback himself and a brilliant analyst for uh, the NFL on NBC's coverage. Uh, Chris Sims said that out of the four 49er teams that have made it uh, to the conference championship game in the past five years, this defense is easily the weakest of the four. And as well, uh, he said that another concern involving the 49ers defense is that last week, Matt LaFleur was able to find multiple ways to run receivers right through their zones wide open. And it is more than reasonable <laughs> to expect Ben Johnson to be able to do the same. Do you think the 49ers should be willing to adjust and play more man coverage against this Lions aerial attack? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to have to. I think they, they don't have a choice. I think we're going to see that happening, um, see that defensive adjustment, even just to mix it up, give Goff some different looks, try to get him to hold the football a little bit longer uh, so that pass rush can try to get to him there. Because, yeah, like you said, that, that um, you know, that Green Bay offense certainly uh, – found some ways to exploit the San Francisco defense there on the back end as well. And yeah, the 49ers, like we talked about, love Charvavius Ward, um, you know, Ambry Thomas, but they don't have that superstar shutdown cornerback um, that can impact that game and take away those receivers. Um, and they feed off of, you know, that defensive line and those linebackers doing a lot of work up front to set them up for success. And when that doesn't happen, uh, like we saw last week in Green Bay, they can be exploited. They most certainly can. And now let's break down the matchups that are going to decide who wins this NFC Championship game. And it starts up front. I am looking at those two Lions tackles. Left tackle Taylor Decker and right tackle Panay Sewell, who is becoming a stud in this league, going up against the fearsome twosome of the 49ers and Nick Bosa and Chase Young. And I am interested to see how Steve Wilkes mixes and matches with both of those pass rushers on both of those tackles. Because keep in mind, uh, Panay Sewell is fantastic as a pass protector, but he's even better as a run blocker. And on yeah. obvious running plays, he might want to put Nick Bosa up against Panay Sewell because Nick Bosa is far better against the run than Chase Young is. Yeah, oh, that's a great point there, David. Yeah, because Chase Young is, you know, he's uh, one of those young pin your ears back and get after that quarterback guy. He is not concerned about the running game at all. Uh, he plays with that mindset of that's what we have linebackers for, you know? So yeah. um, Chase Young is out after the quarterback. So that could be a huge, huge thing for that Detroit offense there, uh, able to run behind Sewell, um, push the 49ers defensive line around, open up some holes because uh, definitely Detroit, that one-two punch, uh, Gibbs and Montgomery is uh, a package that can certainly take yeah. over that game, no doubt about it. Yeah, and if Jared Goff goes into the huddle with a pass and run play and he looks to his right and sees Chase Young lined up against Panay Sewell, Check to the run play. That's right. Check to the run. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, calling that run to the right side, it's going to be there for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think Detroit's going to be looking to attack that 49ers offense, that uh, 49ers defense with that running game. And, um, you know, the 49ers have a very, very good running game. But just look last week, Aaron Jones, over 100 yards in less than 20 carries. He was finding space to run the football um, against that 49ers uh, defense. And like we said, a lot of that run defense yardage-wise, San Francisco, a lot of that's from playing from ahead. You know, you're forcing teams to throw the ball 40 or 50 times. Uh, your running defense is going to look very, very good. But the 49ers was not was not strong last week and has struggled at times with that defending that running game and with a strong offensive line uh, for Detroit those problems that could be in place for the 49ers uh run defense 
Yeah, I, I think the, I think Detroit has a big advantage there, and that's what's going to allow them to stay in this game and, and match that 49ers offense. Absolutely. And like that Ravens defense, the 49ers have two stud linebackers and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, but the Lions have two special weapons to exploit over the middle. And Jameer Gibbs, the uh, first half of that one-two punch at running back with uh, David Montgomery and rookie tight end Sam Laporta, because uh, Jared Goff is not a mobile quarterback, I think uh, Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw are going to be paying a lot of attention to Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta the entire game. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Gibbs and Laporta, I mean, that that's, uh, you know, your two, three in targets there behind uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. So you don't often see that with two rookies, but these guys are both explosive uh, players. Uh, Gibbs, obviously, we know can take that short pass and uh, turn the field position on its head. Um, so dynamic in the open field. Sam Laporta, such a weapon working across the middle of those field, those deep crossers, um, you know, stretching the middle of that defense coming from the, the tight end position, something he does so well uh, pressuring teams that way. So a lot of pressure on those dynamic 49ers uh, linebackers who, like we said, uh, not shabby at all. They are uh, Greenlaw and Warner have been a huge part of that defense all year uh, and a reason why they're in this situation and had the number one seed in the NFC. And now let's switch sides of the ball. We all know the 49ers love to attack the middle of the field relentlessly and are one of the best offenses at doing it because they have some of the best uh, space players or satellite players uh, in the NFL. Uh, Debo Samuel, Chris McCaffrey, George Kittle, you name it. But fortunately for the Lions, they have the slot monster in, or the, the slot stopper, dare I say, <laughs> in Brian Branch. Every time I watch this Lions defense play, I wonder how did the NFL let Brian Branch fall all the way to the 45th pick? He is such a weapon for that Lions defense. And I think uh, Aaron Glenn is going to have no problem allowing him to go one-on-one -on -one with any of those players uh, on Sunday from time to time. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Branch, like you said, um, strong, uh, plays that position in the slot as well as anybody. Uh, and like we said, dropping the 45, wasn't like he was unknown. He was at Alabama. Everybody <laughs> saw him every week, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, no doubt about it. But, but yeah, he's uh, s those instincts that he has, you know, uh, when to undercut that route, when to stay and tackle, try to and go for the ball, knock the ball away. Uh, one of those things that's so hard to teach, uh, you know, just that instinctiveness that he has, those hips being able to change direction um, is required for coverage in the slot. You know, not everybody can do that. Yeah, I mean, just his ability to just shut down there, that physicality, um, rerouting the receiver, disrupting their release from the line, from the slot. He's able to do that, um, knows where he needs to be in that role. Uh, excellent, excellent uh, nickel back there uh, for Detroit. And like you said, that's right in the bread and butter of where San Francisco is going to be looking to attack that defense uh, right across that middle of the field. George Kittle, um, 
whoever else uh Ayuk is Samuel if he's going across the middle as well uh if he was there but you know they're running those guys there and trying to take that middle of the field and pick up those big chunks of yardage and last but not least for matchups uh kind of like uh with the Packers last week not letting Rashad Gary see Trent Williams the Lions are definitely going to do the same thing with Aiden Hutchinson and match him up against Colt McKivitz for the entire entire game so Colt McKivitz and uh George Kittle or Ross Dwelly or even Kyle Juszczyk uh you are all going to have to team up to neutralize number 97 yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he is their pass rush, uh, you know, for Detroit. He is the one player that uh, can make those big impactful plays on a regular basis, can disrupt, gather them off the field on third down, um, you know, and the rest of that line as well uh, for Detroit on the defensive line, even if they're not getting at the quarterback, uh, they still have to be strong at the point of attack, whether it's Kaminsky or Paschal on the other side for Detroit. Um, you know, you can't just write that off and say, well, you know, it's Trent Williams, so they're going to get blown out on this play. Uh, they've got to at least contribute in trying to slow that running game as well, um, because Christian McCaffrey is the weapon for San Francisco as well. Short passes, running the ball all season long has just been that engine that makes that San Francisco yeah. offense go. Absolutely. John Kaminsky and Josh Pascal, they might not be elite pass rushers, but they're very good at setting the edge in that run game, and they're going to absolutely need to play at their best for the Lions to come away with the upset in Santa Clara on Sunday. And now it's time to pick this NFC Championship game. I think it's going to be a close game. I really, really do. I think it's going to be high scoring because I think those 49ers defensive struggles continue uh, into this week. And I think Ben Johnson and the Lions do all they can to exploit them. But at the end of the day, this Lions defense is even worse. And they match up even worse with the uh, 49ers. Just look at the numbers. Since week 10. The Lions defense is ranked 27th in EPA per play, and only the Cardinals, Commanders, Eagles, Seahawks, and Bengals are worse. And the 49ers put up 45, 42, 31, 28, and 27 on those four teams in five games uh, since Week 10. And also, the Lions are the number 29th ranked red zone defense in the NFL, and they're giving up touchdowns on 64.4% of red zone possessions. And the 49ers, they're the number one red zone offense in the NFL this season, scoring touchdowns on 67% of their trips. That is a mismatch, and I think that is just too much for the Lions to overcome. Their offense keeps it close, but the defense doesn't seal the deal. 49ers 38, Lions 35. Ooh, yeah, I, I see the high-scoring game here going as well, David. Not quite that high, but up there as well. Um, yeah, Detroit. I think they're going to cover the spread, no doubt about it. It's a little high at seven points for San Francisco. Um, I'll take that spread all day long for Detroit. Um, I think they might even put a scare in San Francisco as well. Um, but as Brock Purdy showed last week, I think he can be, you know, he settled down against Green Bay and by the fourth quarter was just uh, just impeccable. So <laughs> no doubt about it. as bad as he played in the first half, he was the opposite and so much better in the second half as well. Um, so I'm going to give the edge to San Francisco to win the game, but Detroit to keep it close. I'll even say, uh, make it 
31 to 30, San Francisco over Detroit. And now it's time for our bold predictions for Championship Sunday. And I'll go first here. The Ravens and the Chiefs will be tied at 20 with 50 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And the Ravens will be driving and have the ball at the Chiefs' 45-yard line. But Chris Jones strip sacks Lamar Jackson, and Nick Bolton picks it up and returns it for the game-winning touchdown. That is my bold prediction for Championship <laughs> Sunday. What about yours, Hal? Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be quite as bold here, um, but uh, I love your bold prediction, David. Um, but, hey, I'm going to say, you know, like I said, Goff in that Lions offense, giving hope to the Detroit faithful in that first half. I'll say, hey, they jump out to – uh, big lead here. Uh, let's say 23 to seven lead at halftime over San Francisco, but I think it's going to be the Brock Purdy show again in the second half, just like he did last week, uh, stepping up against green Bay and taking over that game in the fourth quarter. He does the same three fourth quarter touchdown passes. Uh, yeah, let's give them all to, G to George Kittle. Why the heck not? And that's how San Francisco pulls out the game with that 31 to 30 win over the Lions. That is pretty bold as well, Hal. Don't be too hard on yourself, my friend. <laughs> and last but not least, as always, let's conclude this program with our challenge flags. And my challenge flag goes to the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, Jared Goff. Aiden Hutchinson, Alvin Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, David Montgomery, Panay Sewell, that entire team. Embrace your role as underdogs and as America's team. Everybody in America loves a great underdog story, and you are that story this season. We are all rooting for you to shock the world and win your first ever Super Bowl against all the odds. Go make us proud, Detroit Lions. That is my challenge flag. What is yours, Hal? Uh, my challenge flag, hey, Andy Reid, if this is potentially your last game as head coach at Kansas City, uh, please leave nothing behind. Uh, throw the kitchen sink. Throw everything at this Baltimore defense. Uh, go to those back pages of the playbook. Uh, every little trick play, every alignment, every motion that you can throw at Baltimore to try to throw them off. Uh, un leash it show that offensive genius that you've been uh leave it all out there uh kansas city and uh challenge flag so andy reed if you're going out go out in style he is Hale Bet, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at full press coverage and follow him on X at Hale Bet 01. Hale, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But this coming Monday, I will be headed back to Mobile, Alabama mm. to cover my sixth senior bowl. All week long, I'll be interviewing fellow media members as well as participating prospects as we kick off our 2024 NFL draft coverage. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to follow me on X at DCRUB59 and on Instagram and now threads at Sports Crunch with DCRUB. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Hail Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long. And whatever you do, please choose love. Please choose kindness. Please choose compassion. Please choose selflessness. And please choose empathy, which are the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams in any sport. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.